Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson, and for more than 10 years, I've overseen our patient safety, risk, and quality membership programs here at ECRI. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Today, we're taking another look at shortages in the healthcare workforce. Healthcare has faced workforce shortages in the past, and even before the COVID-19 pandemic made things worse, the American Nurses Association and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics forecast the retirement of more than half a million registered nurses by 2022. Our guest today is Tom McCormick, Vice President of Patient Accounting at Penn Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tom, what are some of the, the current challenges and issues related to your world, to the, to the patient accounting world, that are really hitting healthcare right now? Sure. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I will tell you that um, we're experiencing similar to the statistics you just mentioned, you know, especially something that I'll call the, the great retirement. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of people that have, I think suffered from uh, pandemic exhaustion, uh, some individuals that were not willing to make a transition for a, a different type of workforce during the pandemic. And they decided that you know they were of age and they were going to retire, and that would be the end of it. So in our world, uh, probably last year, we had uh, 28 individuals retire from our workforce, uh, mostly as a result of the changes that we made uh, when we went 100% remote. Would you say, and I've, I've heard some other people characterize it this way, and I'm curious if you feel the same. Is this the most critical issue facing hospitals as we're, we're here in the beginning of 2022? I think staffing challenges are definitely the most critical thing facing hospitals. You know, with the uh, exhaustion that has come over from uh, taking care of long-stay COVID patients, uh, the, the longer work hours, the, the shortage of staff that puts the pressure on the, the, the staff that are existing there, uh, and the changes that we've had to, to make to, to meet those challenges is definitely one of the most critical things we're facing. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about Penn Medicine and, and what you're doing to navigate these challenges and maybe just frame for our audience a little bit, you know, how many sites you have in Penn Medicine, what's sort of what's, yeah. you know, what's, what's your patient population that, and, and again, how are you, how are you trying to tackle these, these workforce challenges? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a six hospital health system and our flagship hospital is the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. We have three inner city hospitals in Philadelphia and we have three kind of community hospitals, although I would consider Lancaster General a major health institution in an area that's in our uh, western suburbs. Uh, along with the, uh, the flagship hospital, we have Pennsylvania Hospital, the first hospital in the country. We have uh, Penn Presbyterian, which is uh, our uh, trauma center in, the, in uh, West Philadelphia. Uh, we have Princeton uh, Hospital in, you know, in uh, North Jersey and Chester County Hospital, uh, which is a small community hospital just outside uh, of Philadelphia. So we have 24,000 employees. Uh, we're an $8 million uh, revenue organization. So it's a, a fairly substantial uh, health system. And so what, you know, you mentioned the number of retirements you had just in the last year. What kind of, what are some of the initiatives you're putting in place to try to deal with all this workforce churn? 
Yeah. So I, I like to start off by saying, by telling what happened, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. when, when this, when the pandemic first started, um, you know, we were challenged to create some social distancing just within our office space. So in that whole January, February timeframe, we started to create different work schedules. And, and those work schedules ran from four day work week to three day work weeks. And some people that still had a five day work week. And our goal was no more than 50% of any one section would be in so we could spread employees out and not be on top of each other in that, in that cubicle type environment that we have in revenue cycle. And, uh, and then come April, the governor started shutting everything down uh, in the state. So restaurants and everything else was closing down. And we took the we took that initiative to basically say, you know what, why have, or we could have come in as healthcare workers, but we said, why, why make that, you know, uh, uh, chore when we, when we can actually create a more safe environment for our employees by allowing them to work from home. And literally within 10 days, we had a 300 uh, FTE workforce at home. In the beginning, they were working on their own computers. Uh, and then what, uh, we quickly, within about a three-week time frame, got pen computers out there just for better security, what have you. Sure. And even though we're, we're still working out uh, technical difficulties, this was truly like necessity was the mother of invention. If somebody would have asked me pre-pandemic, am I ever going to have even a four-day work week, let alone 100% workforce, I would have said, no, that doesn't work for me. You know, people need supervision, management by walking around, you know, all of those uh, theories. And I was stunned. I was stunned that we now have productivity increasing, a happier workforce. I mean, you know, this satisfaction quotient was going up. People love this whole idea of working from home and, and their own domestic flexibility improved as well. So as we, as we did all of that, all of a sudden we uncovered these little areas of the operation that were paper-driven. And, and not only were they paper-driven, they really weren't necessary. And so, and, you know, that's kind of a long beginning to answer your question. We kind of started to right-size our operation. And we, we took a look at um, some of these individuals who, quite frankly, were on our uh, payroll for 45 years, some of them even longer than that. Uh, they were well over the retirement age, uh, but they just didn't want to retire. And these were the individuals that really had difficulty even with the technology of working from home. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, the, the biggest thing that stunned me was how many people, um, when we sent people to work from home, did not have Wi-Fi. Mm. And, and, and that just was a foreign concept to me when I when I start thinking about what, the way everybody works in, you know, in the world today. So... Um, we started working with these individuals. We, you know, some of them, we just needed education on what it meant to be retired and, and how they could, you know, have a better lifestyle, how they, you know, really weren't going to be successful in the current environment. They totally agree with us. And as I said, you know, we, we basically started to right-size our organization, engage more automation, scanning, you know, electronic faxing, things that you, know, you would take into consideration when you want to have a more efficient operation regardless. And some of that was keeping us back was the fact that we had these people that they were there and they were being employed. So we kept the paper process just to keep them busy during the day. Yep. I, it's funny, you talk about that transition home happening so rapidly. And I, I can remember when ECRI, because we're, we're located just outside of Philadelphia. So we're, we're in the same you know, basic area that you are. And I can remember 
the day or two when we made that decision to go home, right? We thought it was going to be for about three weeks. Um, but it looked like the place was being looted as people carried out to their cars, right? Their their keyboards and their and their monitors and all all those things. And right now it's been two years and a week or so. Um, and we're still here. So besides working from home, and you talked about you talked about a couple of things that were sort of different types of flexible work arrangements, right? So changing the number of days, obviously shifting the location of work. What other kind of, of flexible arrangements did you find that staff were asking for uh, sort of on their own? Yeah, so I can tell you before, even before the pandemic, our, my staff wanted a four-day work week. And, and honestly, literally about 40 years ago, we actually tried something like that. And it just didn't work out, especially for the management team, because it always seemed like the management team was never getting into that four-day work week, you know, that we would, that the, the staff was uh, requesting. Uh, other, other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot of other requests for that. I mean, I do think that working from home, is there were certain individuals who were a specific skill set who were, and they weren't hourly employees and, you know, they would request the work from home. Some of it was just because, you know, they would have the distractions of the on-site uh, work activity and they could focus on what they wanted to do. In the past, we've actually found some people just take uh, way too much advantage over that, and we lost some context. and And that's one of the reasons why a work from home strategy was kind of like something that we really weren't in favor of. Mm -hmm. And then we went through that first year, you know, that that first year of all of our people working from home, and we saw the increase in productivity. And Paul, I got to be honest with you, the one thing that really went down is the irritating interpersonal. You know, some people call it the water cooler interactions that yeah. occur that suck up your management's time because somebody doesn't like the cologne this person wears. <laughs> somebody, the cleaning fluid that they wipe on their desk is, is aggravating their asthma, you know, and that whole interpersonal uh, problem went away. I mean, the, and we could focus on more strategic things at like workflow operations, improving our efficiency how we deal with payers, like all of those things, I think actually contributed to the improvement in our, uh, in our uh, productivity. And the way we measure productivity, particularly with a, a clerical hourly staff, it, it increased 28% over the last two years. Wow. That's really meaningful. I mean, that, that's not just a little bit. Right. And then, of course, within, after the first 12 months, we went to the, the CFO of the organization, my boss, and uh, we made a proposal. And he actually was all for it. We're on we're on offsite space. So you know downtown Philadelphia. You know mm -hmm. you're you're in that Plymouth meeting area. So in downtown Philadelphia, uh, we rent space right across the street from City Hall. Mm -hmm. And in there we had a lot of corporate divisions, of which ours was one of the largest. And so we were able to reduce our footprint, Patient County's footprint, from sixty five thousand square feet down to just under uh, ten thousand square feet. And most of that is because you know, we have servers that we still have to maintain. We have some uh, on-site staff that, that still, we, have, we still have to do the mail. We still have to do, there are some paper processing that still takes place, but that has gone down from a, a, like a, an amount of about 300 uh, full-time employees down to about uh, any given day, we might have eight or 10 in, in, you know, on-site. Well, you know, I think something is so interesting to me when we talk about both when we talk, talk about the, the, you know, the healthcare workforce, and in particular, as we've gone through the pandemic, and we talk about um, 
you know, all these type, type of steps that you're taking, I think so often the, in the public, our mind goes to direct caregivers, right? Um, nurses and, and a nurse for the most part can't work from home, right? But, but it takes this army of people to keep a, a, a health system running and to be able to make some of the changes on the fly that you're talking about, that really, that reduces the burden all the way across the board. I'm imagining even onto the direct care providers because there's just fewer people in the building. There's more room. You're not getting sick as much and taking up healthcare resources because you're at home. Just that, that trickle down effect, I think is really interesting because it, um, you know, you and your role and your immediate team, right? You're not touching patients, Correct. but, but by being offsite, you're still having an effect on the patient care capabilities of the health system. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and most of the people at Penn Medicine, they get their care at Penn Medicine. So sure. if I'm keeping my staff healthy by, uh, you know, living at home or working from home, then, you know, I'm actually contributing to less pressure for patients coming in, you know, that need to be seen. And, and I, gotta be I gotta tell you, the instances of people that, on, on my team that actually contracted COVID going all the way back to January, is very minimal, very small. And, and we credit a lot of that for people just staying home, following their own protocols at home in terms of washing their hands and, and their face. One, I'll never forget, you know, we used to end every call, you know, you, know, inter, you know, these virtual calls with staff by saying, you know, watch your hands, don't touch your face, you know, for the, you know, it, it was just kind of like a constant reminder. And, and the, the staff, remained healthy. I mean, we really had very few ones of people that uh, actually contracted it and nobody who actually passed away from it, thank God. That's wonderful. Um, so that's their physical health. I know that you've also implemented an employee morale committee, right? Because yeah. that's, it's funny, you talked about that that lack of, um, that lack of water, right? The interpersonal distraction of, I don't like their cologne. Or for me, it was always people with flavored coffee um, and, and sitting near that. Um, but, but, there is that other piece of, okay, what have we lost potentially by not being around each other? Um, so can you tell me about that employee morale committee? What do they do? What kind of interve sure. interventions do they pursue? Yeah. So we actually, uh, uh, we appointed people that we knew were, had that personality, you know, I mean, you, you, you can imagine when you have 300 people and you say, raise your hand, who wants to be part of the employee morale committee? You'd probably get at least 150 and most of them are like, man, I can get a couple hours off of work and not have to worry about productivity. Sign me up. Uh, so we tag people that usually do engage in departmental type of things like the annual Christmas party or, you know, any other kind of uh, celebration that we would run. And we tap them for these ideas and they, be, and they form this group that we would meet on a regular basis. And we would come up with typical uh, things that we would do on site, but we would do them virtually. So we had a virtual Christmas party. And now under normal circumstances, you'd have 300 people wandering the floor for a half a day, enjoying some snacks. And we gave out departmental prizes and things of that nature. But we moved that to be sectional. We, we use MS Teams. People would get onto MS Teams. We still allocated gifts for the managers to, to give. We developed trivia programs and you know, they would take some time off uh, from work. We didn't make it a half a day because I, I think that would be not, it wouldn't be feasible for to have a, you know, half a day virtual meeting. But we told them they could take up to two hours, you know, wish everybody happy holidays, create that sectional engagement. Mm -hmm. You know, we also have, you know, contests that we did department-wide, the ugly sweater contest, 
you know, the best Halloween costume contest. Uh, send in pictures of your decorated house for the holidays and whatever it was, internal, external, whatever you wanted to do. We, the employee morale committee or the judges and, you know, and we would give out awards for that. And that kind of took the place of, we used to have the best decorated cubicle, you know? And, and so we, we kind of trans, we, we translated this whole idea that we're working virtual into as many ideas as we could to just keep the people engaged. And even beyond the employee morale committee, engagement's important. Uh, every manager, supervisor are required to meet with their team no less than once a week. It's It has to be an MS Teams meeting and cameras are on. So, and, and we even developed our virtual dress code, uh, which actually looks very similar to our our original dress code, except that it's only from the waist up. <laughs> and, you know, we, you know, we basically, you know, same things. We say, hey, just because you're working from home doesn't mean that you can sit with baseball caps on backwards or wear inappropriate, you know, t-shirts, you know, those type of things. It's like, we still, we want, you know, once you wear college shirts or at least a dress sweater or something presentable, you have to look presentable. You know, this is, you're still part of a professional organization and I don't want you to feel like you can just, you know, roll out of bed and, you know, click onto your uh, computer. Yeah, I will say, I will admit that I, uh, I, before I get dressed, I look at my calendar for the day and decide now just <laughs> how much of a grown up do I have to look like today? Yeah. <laughs> it's on yeah. my, my to do in the morning. The, the first time we put that out, uh, one of my direct reports uh, showed up on a management team's meeting in a hoodie with sunglasses and, you know, some kind of stupid saying across his uh, sweatshirt. So, you <laughs> <think>. <laughs> um. One of the things I've heard a lot of organizations do, uh, particularly in you know in professional roles like like um, like patient accounting and your team, is really doing more cross training of staff um, and and helping them to both cover for each other because you don't know when you're going to have sudden staff shortages in different places, um, and you know that that applies again in the clinical world as well as in the, the professional uh, you know world. Have you found that as something that there was a strategy that you employed and, and how did staff receive that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we did employ that strategy. And, and I'll, I'll tell you something that was even uh, a part of that. You know, when I had all these people retire, you know, it's one of those programs that you have to you have to offer a variable separation program is what we called it. And we were giving them incentives to take their retirement packages, uh, not early, but I mean, some they were all of retirement age. Well, I had a significant part of my management team that saw that benefit, you know, and said, wow, this is something I can't turn down. I wasn't necessarily looking for them to retire, but they did. And, and now, so what we did, again, we took that opportunity to right size. And so we, we shuffled the chairs around, you know, we have a hospital side and a professional fee billing side. They are, they are different uh, in, in my organization. We have a one central management team, but we started to combine elements that were easy to combine you know, record keeping, you know, the, uh, the, the scanning uh, co component of, you know, putting the paper stuff into a, a virtual environment. We, we started to say, you know, we can consolidate these under a manager, not replace certain management uh, people and, uh, and really take advantage of this, of this opportunity. And that did require cross-training. So people had to learn the professional side and, uh, and some had to learn the hospital side. There were data entry uh, components that we could combine. 
And, and so most of the staff actually appreciated the opportunity to learn something different. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of them saw it as an expansion of their opportunity. And a few of them said, well, if I have to learn something new, do I get more pay? And I said, well, I'm not asking you to work more than eight hours a day. So I still get, I'm still getting my eight hours out of you. And, you know, and, you know, and for most part, you know, it was, it was fine. I think that, uh, I think the staff did appreciate the fact that they were still working. You know, they still had this, this uh, pretty great opportunity to you know, continue to have flexible, uh, what I call domestic flexibility, because we still have a lot of employees that have children. They're going to school. You know, when they're when the child is sick, they don't have to stay home. You know, I mean, they don't have to go to work. They can right, stay right. home yeah. when the water when the water heater breaks and the, the plumber's coming. They, they, these are things they can manage. And a lot of employees recognize the fact they were saving substantial money. Yeah. They weren't traveling. You know, there's no cleaning bills or any of the other things. They're not buying their lunch somewhere. And so a lot of them recognize that in the place of, you know, do I get more money for training or something along those lines? They recognize, hey, I'm saving a lot of money. Uh, in this new environment. You mentioned a couple times, you know, the role that technology and automation played in, in the transition home and in allowing staff to be even more productive from home. Um, you know, you talk about e-faxing and some other things. What if you could elaborate on that a, a little bit more? What, what, what kinds of technologies did you use? And, you know, what kind of supports did you have to have for your staff as they had to adopt new things and they couldn't, you know, come to a conference room to be trained because they're all, you know, dispersed? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we did just to that point you just made, we did develop a, um, a virtual training program since uh, one of the things that are required to do this virtual environment we have is that we, everybody has to be proficient in MS Teams. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we get all the staff up on MS Teams, new employees that are coming in, we onboard them virtually, you know, they still have to come in for a certain amount of things, but we try to limit that as much as possible. But the training is is all virtual and we still have the opportunity to say all right if a, a person just isn't getting it virtual is not working for them then we will bring them in i mean we still have space enough we have what we call flexible space so people can come in and and they'll you know get that shoulder to shoulder thing until they, they're more proficient and then we can uh, we're able to send them back home but we've used a whole host of other things and one of the things I think has been very helpful to us, we're a very telephonic, you know, dependent organization. We collect money. So we're calling insurance companies, we're calling departments, you know, everything. There's still that interaction that has to take place. Uh, and, you know, people were using their, their home cell phones and blocking the numbers, you know, when they're trying to do this. Well, and a lot of times that's very, that's difficult for that connection. If you're leaving a message, they're leaving it on their old work phone and we still maintain those uh, voicemails. Yeah. Well, we're now moving to uh, a, an opportunity to use MS Teams better where you can actually use the telephone right through MS Teams. And it leaves a number, you can leave a message, they can call you back on that number. And then so that's gonna create a great deal of efficiency in terms of just that one operation of you know, the, the telephone. But scanning, all the things that people used to do to get records and come back, we've turned all that into an electronic profile, which has really created tons of efficiency throughout the whole department, particularly because we got rid of a lot of the people shuff shufflers anyway. But even our collectors who were you know, managing that process for medical records requests, it's made their life a lot easier as well because we've kind of centralized that. And we still have 
some companies they'll say, sorry, we don't, can't, we can't take the like, you got to mail to me, you know, so we do, you know, that's why we have that little on-site force, but taking it away from those people, that on-site uh, capability, that on-site um, need that they had to have that paper record has made them a lot more efficient. I'm thinking besides efficiency, you know, you mentioned there, there were, you know, maybe a handful of folks who either couldn't or decided they just weren't going to adopt some new technologies. But I'm thinking for the majority of your workforce, a lot of these must be big satisfiers, right? Being able to, we, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with using the phone through Teams, because we do that here at ECRI as well. And um, I tell you, that's made life a lot easier for me from a work perspective. Yeah. And I, so I'm thinking you must have had a lot of positive feedback around those things too. There definitely was. There was definitely a lot of feedback on you know, just making their life easier. They felt supported in terms of we're trying to make them more successful. Yeah. And you know, when people are tracked on their productivity, the one thing that, that really drives them crazy is what makes them inefficient in terms of how they do their work. So when they see management trying to support their efficiency for that so that they can be more successful, that is a huge satisfier. So I always try to wrap up by asking for a first step, right? If I'm in another organization, um, probably not gonna be able to fix everything at once, but I, I might know that I need to get started. And I'm thinking particularly with this topic, across the country, we probably have folks in all different phases of this transition of workforce and some folks coming back and some folks are not gonna come back. Where's a starting point to try to figure out how to approach this you know, looking forward over the next months and years? Sure. Yeah. I, I have to say, you know, if you're, um, I'll start this way. There's not one size fits all. You know, a lot of people, my own colleagues that I, you know, have here in the Delaware Valley, some of them, they're 100% supported in terms of having a remote workforce and others say, gee, I'd rather have a hybrid I think I'd like to rotate people coming in. Some of them want to make it an incentive program, but you do have to start with a strategy. So you figure out what works in your organization. What's your strategy? And if you have one, then you got to engage your management team. That's your first step. Get your management team on board with your strategy. If you don't have one, make them part of it. Get them as part of the design, but you start with your direct reports. You get them involved. You get them on board with what your vision is and your strategy or whatever you develop. And then you start to push that down through the organization to the management teams. And when you have that all on board, everybody is in, in sync with the same strategy, then it's time to implement. So that's where I would start. I'd start with your team. So Thomas, I think about the, a lot of the changes you described, right? Um, eliminating some processes, changing work, work shifts, changing work environments. Um, obviously your immediate team is not part of a clinical team. But I'm thinking that a lot of those changes probably could apply to folks providing clinical care. So I'm curious, you know, have you have you seen that in place, and or could you at least envision how they might apply back to a clinical team? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. That's a great question. And uh, to tell you the truth, you know, as we've been discussing, uh, a lot of this is about how management can support the team so that they can be more successful. And some of those strategies we put in patient accounting, you know, certainly can apply in other areas of the institution. And if I was gonna think about clinical directly, and you know, I'm, I sit in financial statement meetings, we talk about operations all the time and nursing turnover and what have you, they are applying some of those same types of management support strategies. So, so what do I mean by that? Obviously, you know, we can take a look at compensation and, you know, and compensation is just only one component of that. And, and one of the things that we've noticed is that 
for them, it's not always just about compensation. Some nurses are leaving because they can work at agencies and have more flexible hours. So we need to start thinking about that in terms of how do we support our uh, nurses at the bedside so that they can feel like that they've got something that could be more flexible in their work to home life you know, relationship so that they're not gonna be exhausted or get burnout or, or feel like they have to leave. And, and then, you know, the other side of that coin though is always that whole concept of the grass is greener. You know, uh, there's all these opportunities out there now, particularly in, in nursing agencies or even other clinical areas. And you start to, you know, they start to think, well, maybe I'll try that out. We've actually seen some people coming back saying it wasn't really that green on that side. <laughs> and I think, I, I think it, was, it was better that they were working in an organization that they felt more comfortable with and being supported. And so we're continuing to work on those types of things. Some of it is, you know, right-sizing staffing. Can we get staffing in like CRNAs to, you know, support the nursing staff to take off some of the things so that they just don't feel like they're overwhelmed. These are a lot of strategies that are being considered. And it is about management trying to put those employees, clinical or non-clinical, into, uh, into that place where they can be successful and feel supported. So I do think that there, there are lots of same, same string that can be you know, implemented on the clinical side. And you know, Tom, one of the questions that, that occurs to me that, that I wanted to ask you, um, we talked a lot about how the, you know, your team uh, made these transitions in the role of the employee engagement, uh, the, the employee morale committee, right? And, and all those things. And I'm thinking about um, how has it changed your role? in being at home and how is it, uh, I'm sure your, your job must be very different today than it was two years ago, even if your job description hasn't changed. So how has it changed your role? And have you found some of the same things that the rest of your staff have found in terms of satisfiers or challenges? Yeah, actually uh, it has significantly changed my role. And it, you talk about your whole uh, work-life balance. I, I think that I have more lunches with my wife now than I ever had before mm -hmm. because she also works from home. Um, but I actually still go into the office once a week, you know, because we have an on-site team, we've developed a schedule where, you know, every manager has to take a turn at least coming in. So we have the first four days covered by senior management. So I take a day, you know, I have two direct reports that take a day. There's, there's a manager who most of those people are on site. They take a day. So it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, that's all covered. And then on Friday, the rest of the management team takes a turn on a rotation basis. We have a schedule out there. And in that schedule, they may have to come in once every two months. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's a wonderful thing, Paul, when it's snowing outside and you don't have to jump in the car. And, you know, I, I live an hour outside of the city, so I don't have to make that drive. Uh, I've become very proficient at teams myself. And I uh, usually try to light up every meeting I have with a different background that, uh, you know, that will you know, make people smile and I think, and trust me when I tell you that every meeting starts off with me in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that I very much believe you. Tom, thanks so much for being with us today. Paul, thank you. It was great being with you. Learn more about ECRI and the ISMP PSO from the ECRI website at www.ecri.org where you'll find our 2022 Top 10 Patient Safety Concerns Report, which includes staffing shortages as the number one item on the list. You can learn more about Penn Medicine at www.pennmedicine.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Visit us at ecri.org 
or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.